All right, we're going to start rolling the tape, the digital tape, because this is going to go out on iHeartRadio, which I know is impressive to JP. This will be airing on iHeartRadio, which might mean something in your mind. Maybe you're thinking iHeartRadio. Wow, that's kind of cool. It, that's that's definitely what I'm thinking now that you've subliminally uh, NLP'd me into thinking that for sure. Well, what, ladies, what should, I, what should I think next, Steve? <laughs> We're diving in. You ready, JP? Let's go. Let's go. Well, welcome. Welcome to Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host, best-selling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting, Steve Prusak. Hello and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Juice Crew Radio. I'm your host, Steve. It's great to be with you. And on today's show, we've got J.P. Sears. He's an emotional healing coach, YouTube sensation, best-selling author, and curious student of life. Now, his work empowers people to live more meaningful lives. He's the author of the best-selling book, How to Be Ultra-Spiritual. I love the audio over on Audible. You can listen to him reading the book, which is the best way to consume it, in my opinion. He educates and entertains through his online videos where he's reaching millions of people with his ultra-spiritual comedy series. We'll have some links to that. And you can learn more about JP and his work over at awakenwithjp.com. We'll have links for that, too. Let's welcome to Juice Crew Radio right now, JP Sears. Steve, thank you for having me, and thank you for uh, what sounds like a, a a very accurate read of my bio that we would have sent you. So I appreciate you feeling obligated to uh, introduce me in the exact controlled way that uh, we want you to. That's perfect. Thank you, JP. I and more in control of life and shaping how people see me. It's great. And well, the good news is I actually did read the book. And I'm sure you get on some of these shows and people pretend they read the book, but I, I did read it and I do love it. So thank you for writing it. Oh, you're welcome. And I appreciate your compliments. And you know, the you mentioned the audio version of the book as well. That was ooh, that was a trip. That that was a trip to just literally read a book out loud and not just read it out loud, but wanting to like, be in the character and be emotionally expressive because I, I despise audio books that are read in a mon- just monotone way that puts you to sleep. So I, I tried to really bring it for it. So I codependently feel significantly good hearing you uh, give a little uh, credit to the audio book. Well, let's talk about, we're going to talk about you. So the good news is we're going to talk about you during this interview. And I know that's exciting. It's my favorite subject. One, one is, it's my first favorite subject for sure. Before we do though, can we talk about juicing? I want to know what you think of juicing. And when you hear the word juicing, what it even means to you? Yeah, I like anything food-wise that is pretentious. I think that you know a food method or a food product is good for you when it is pretentious. Like fermented foods, I'm all about those. Like poor people don't have fermented foods. And and juicing, I think, is right up there on the pretentious scale. So I love it. And in fact, I think it's wrong for people to eat solid foods if God or Great Spirit wanted us to actually eat solid food they would have given us teeth and not invented blenders and juicers. So I, I am definitely an advocate for juicing food, and I am wholeheartedly against people eating solid food. I think it's just wrong, and I think it's disrespectful and spitting in the face of God because God invented juicers. Thank you for bringing the truth out about juicing and helping us to recognize why the work we do is important. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, they forgot to put this part in the Bible. Did you ever think that actually we might be a juicer ourselves when we're chewing our food? We're actually, we are human juicers? Food. No, so I mean, I, I like the theory, but again, like if God wanted me to use my own teeth, why would there be juicers available? Why were, would there be blenders? So to me, it's kind of like asking, have you ever thought about being a slave, JP? It's like chewing your No, like why would I do something myself when other people can do it for me? 
that I'm significantly underpaying or a blender can do it for me, which I'm, I don't pay anything to my blender. One thing I really appreciate is how serious you're being during this interview. I was worried. I didn't know what way it would go. I didn't know if you could actually make fun of juicing, but here you are bringing it and I appreciate your honesty. Oh yeah. It, juicing is a serious matter. I, I wouldn't want to make fun of it or joke around with it uh, because I think, you know, world peace depends on juicing somehow. Is there a juicer in your kitchen? There, there is not a juicer in my kitchen. That's how much I value juicing. And how about a blender? There, right now, there, there are not only blender singular, which is a grammatically wrong way for me to say that last sentence that I just said, but there are blenders, a couple Vitamixes. Vitamix I, if I can pronounce the plural correctly. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to drink juice to be on Juice Guru Radio. So I want you, I know you were getting nervous for a minute. You were thinking, oh, it's Juice Guru Radio. I know he writes books about juicing. Am I allowed to be here? Is that what you were thinking before? It, and it wasn't. It was obviously close because that's, thought, that's what you thought I was thinking. But no, I personally, I love juice. I just don't like to make my own juice. That's honest. Yeah. Well, you know, we can get you a machine where it's very easy to clean up and I'll hook you up. So we'll talk after the show another time. That sounds good. But, you know, the, with my old machine, uh, the, the act of taking 10 minutes to make a juice, that wasn't, that wasn't a problem. But then the act of taking an hour and a half to clean the damn juicer, that's where I started to run into wrinkles in the fabric of my day. Yeah, our juicers, five to 10 minutes, the ones that I can get you. So we'll talk about it. Um, but I have another, another couple of words that I want to see how they resonate, what it feels to you when I say these words, organic and GMO. What is that? How does that feel? And what do you think of? So when I hear organic, uh, to me, I, I picture a woman wearing diamond jewelry. So I, I think the word organic carries much more street credit and enhanced, call it new age social status. And then when I think of the word GMOs, I think of me and all my friends sitting around getting really angry at Monsanto and having discussions of our own contempt for the world while we only dwell on the problem that is Monsanto and make sure to discuss no solutions. Well, the good news is the show is not sponsored by Monsanto. So I want you to feel free to say whatever you like. We're not going to edit this out. That's good. Actually, I was, it was probably a couple months ago at this point, I was on an interviewer and during the interview, I found out one of the guys doing the interview works for Monsanto and, uh, like, I was really, like, surprised. I, like, I wasn't going to reject him and tell him he's a bad person. Uh, right there on the air, anyway. Uh, but uh, the, apparently they had told my assistant, this guy's from Monsanto, and she, she didn't tell me. She probably did. I just didn't pay attention. And uh, so, anyway, that was, that was an interesting conversation. Actually, a great conversation with uh, a guy representing evil Monsanto. Now, the things you talk about, it's very interesting. I have, I'm in Los Angeles, so a lot of what you parody are the people I'm seeing, you know, over at Cafe Gratitude, uh, you know, once a week. So it's really, um, what a great way to, to call attention and, and help us to laugh at ourselves. Let's talk about you and your spiritual journey, how you, how you came to be, JP. I know you talk about it in your book and everything, but if we can give a little bit of a synopsis here. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a couple versions of that. Uh, let me go with version number one. That's the alternative reality uh, uh, compared to what's in my book. My spiritual journey started, I think, in my childhood being very emotionally disconnected and not feeling a sense of meaning and I think also not feeling really a sense of belonging in my family. So I think that set me up essentially with the absence of connection, both to my emotions and people around me. And that created the motivation, I think, unconsciously at first to then seek uh, something more, something more than gratifying myself. 
in the ways that I saw modeled around me, making money, status, credentials, you know, looking for happiness where it's not, uh, while pretending you're actually going to find it eventually. So in my late teens, I started searching and I didn't know what I was searching for. But now looking back, I could see like, well, yeah, I was searching for connection and I was searching for meaning. And to me, connection and meaning are very synonymous with the word spiritual. So I think long story short, uh, a feeling of emptiness that I apparently got tired of feeling is what started me on my journey, which apparently is continuing and apparently will continue unless I throw in the towel. Now, your videos are hilarious. Um, and I know, I mean, I've heard this story. A lot of my listeners might be new to this work, though, and, and you know, they're not obsessed with you like I am. So maybe they haven't heard you on all these other shows. But um, I, I know that you got into this, like, it was almost by accident that it became comedy, right? Yeah, 100%. And, and before I talk about the accident, I do want to say that I think they make medication to help people become cured of their lack of obsession with me. So just know that, you know, consult your doctor. I'm not a doctor, but ask your doctor if asking your other doctor for this medication is right for you. And probably I would ask Steve if asking your first doctor, if asking your second doctor, if this medication to cure your lack of obsession with JP is right for you. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely consider a lot of my great success to be an accident. And I say that, you know, from a conscious level, I, I, I can definitely get ultra spiritual and say like, there, there are no accidents. And it was all like, you know, predestined. It's like, yeah, I, I believe that too. But also from mm -hmm. the feet on the earth level, uh, I consider myself the blind man stumbling along. When I follow my heart, it's like, I don't know where the hell I'm going but I feel my way into this feels purposeful, do it. So when I started doing my comedy videos, I thought I was just going to be like, I'll make one video. I think it'll be terrible for my business. At the time I was doing exclusively one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one emotional healing client coaching. So I thought, okay, this one video is going to be terrible for my business. So thank God it's just going to be one video. And the other thing is it probably won't even be funny. So that first comedy video was how to be ultra spiritual. So that accidentally became successful and that accidentally got me motivated to do more videos because it, there was inner fulfillment involved. There's this creativity, artistic component where I'm expressing my point of view through the language of comedy. So it's a non-literal expression, which to me is art. First time I had ever really had any kind of art in my life. And it just kept lighting me up inside to make comedy videos. And then new opportunities would come that I didn't premeditate. I didn't strategize any of it. But just along the way, when, I would, when my heart would get lit up by something and I'd say yes to it, grace would follow. And when my heart wasn't lit up by something and I said yes to it, friction would follow. Uh, so that, that's why I consider myself on my good days, the blind man just stumbling along. And I mean, how were you in high school? Were you the funny kid? Were you the class clown, the comedian or what? Yeah, yeah, I definitely was in high school. And I also want to be real. I was also, the first three years in high school, I was also the insecure kid. Uh, you know, in the beginning of high school, I was really introverted, not because like that's natural to me, but because like I was scared. I, there's older people and I'm insecure and and I'm afraid they'll make fun of me, and I'm afraid they won't value me, so I hid. But with my close friends and then later years of high school, when like I'm the older one and I'm just less scared, like less people to project my daddy issues onto, uh, I, I would be the class clown. In elementary school, I was the class clown as well. And, and I found it most entertaining to work with the teachers comedically and what i mean by that like not pay attention to what they're teaching like no i never really did that but work by work with the teachers what i mean by that is walk this line where there, there's a line where you push a teacher too far you're going to get in trouble but you push a teacher close to that line you're going to get the teacher to laugh but if you don't teach push the teacher at all like 
they're not going to laugh. So there, I figured out there's a slang. You have to push a teacher really close to the line. And if you do, they're going to laugh. And that would be really gratifying to me because like the teacher is not supposed to laugh at some troublemaking teenager. So there were some times like I would cross the line, push a teacher too far, get in trouble. Nothing ever serious. It was like detentions here and there. And then other times, like, it's like, wow, I, I'm feeling my way into this game of creating so much tension with this teacher. Then I release the tension and then they laugh. Everybody laughs. And I think that was, you know, being bored to death with what they were actually teaching gave me a great opportunity to, uh, without knowing it, teach myself about comedic tension and forming that and then releasing that. Well, I guess part of comedy is you have to be observant and you have to look at what you see and, and interpret it and make fun of it. And so some of these theory or concepts of, of spirituality and things, was that something like you were kind of in that movement and were able to look inward or is it something you saw outside and, and decided, well, we could really parody this? Oh yeah, definitely because I was in it and I'm still in it. In fact, I don't like to do comedy on things that, uh, I, I am not in or at least pretty directly related to. Otherwise, I think it comes from a, a negative place. Uh, but doing comedy on things that are important to me, to me comes with respect. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's going to see it that way. We all author our own perception of what a video means to us, what a piece of music means to us or any other art form. So yeah, for 10 years, I lived in Southern California from the age of about 23 to 33. And during that time, I was very immersed in spiritual culture and like really like constantly reading, constantly doing anything that I considered spiritual. And that's awesome. Like it really helped me. But what nobody ever told me is the path you take to find yourself will also mean you're losing yourself. I mean, it happens simultaneously. It's not mutually exclusive. So I found later, like in my early 30s, I start like becoming a little more self-aware. And I start to realize, wow, I'm really losing myself to ego gratification with my spiritual practices. Like, again, that doesn't mean my spiritual practices weren't working for me. They were. But I had been blind to how they were also working against me, how I would have these ego gratifying attachments to my spiritual practice that's what i started to become aware of that i had been blind to for at least 10 years so my parody videos started off pretty exclusively in the spiritual genre now i you know still do spiritual stuff but also go well outside the spiritual genre so they started off as a way of me shining the light on my own blind spots. So it's like self-therapy. It's a practice of self-awareness for me. And then where comedy comes in, I think if I were summarizing one angle of comedy in an ultra simple way, but I'll do it nonetheless, it is uh, uh, look under the obvious. Show, look under the scene and show people the unseen. Whatever's there that's not seen, show people uh, that. And if you do deliver it right, then, then you have comedy. And, and we've all heard this saying, if you want to make someone laugh, just tell them the truth. And granted, you have to deliver the truth in a, a certain way, but it's like, yeah, uh, look under the obvious, look under the scene for the unseen, and then you have a lot of comedic material. And multiply that by what's near and dear to me in my life, it's important to me, therefore, I, I, I'm going to be looking deeper. And you have at least my recipe for uh, comedy. Yeah, you can tell from your videos, because I think in life, we have a tendency to say things that we say, but then there's a thought behind it that we're not saying, and you kind of yeah. release those blind spots and thoughts, right? I do my best to. I, I think the world needs transparency. And, and really by the world, I don't mean to get on a soapbox and deflect from our personal lives and talk about the world. What I really mean is we freaking need transparency. And I, by we, I'm going to get a little dogmatic and say every one of us. 
we all need to become more transparent with our own thinking. Can we have our beliefs but not believe our beliefs? Can we have our stories but look for our story under the story? So in other words, look for our own blind spots. So I, I love transparency. I think transparency leads to authenticity, and I think authenticity is a real currency that gives us life. And like, for example, yesterday I made a, a, a video announcing that I'll be doing a comedy tour coming up. And, and in the video, I, you know, I, I point out, like, oh, tickets don't go on sale today. They go on sale uh, uh, two days from now. So the purpose of this video is to create a psychological sense of scarcity and urgency because there's only a limited number of seats in the theater. So I wanted to be transparent with that. And it's weird how not playing the game of seduction, using psychological pressure mechanisms, scarcity, timeliness uh, to create sales, not using them in a seductive way, but using them and then calling myself out on them, at least my weirdo audience, they like that. And it's just weird how we can act. So what that teaches me, what I think is weird is we can actually win. And we can actually have a better life, a better experience when we take the risk of being transparent. Oh, that's interesting. Right. Because people, that's never called out, you know, scarcity, persuasion, the things that uh, if you're, you know, in business, you have to learn if you want to be successful. That's really interesting. I don't know that, that many people, if anyone has ever done that. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know either. All I know is I like doing it. And, and it seems to work for me. And I don't know if it works for me because people like that transparency or it's just my unique style and it works for me just because it's my unique style. But I do have a thesis, Steve. You ready for this? Yes, let's, let's do it. I'm going to get my non-toxic soapbox here. I have a thesis that says people are way more intelligent than what marketers give them credit for. Uh, we, we all know marketers have manipulation techniques, and I don't necessarily mean manipulation in a bad way, but it, there's manipulation techniques. Here's our secrets. Much like the magician says, here's my tricks. We've got to protect these. Nobody can know how we do our tricks or else our tricks will be valueless. And I think marketers oftentimes will have like their magician mindset that says like, we've got these like manipulations and we can't let anybody know we're manipulating them with scarcity and you know get you into my funnel we can't let anybody know that or else our marketing won't work well first off i do believe people are more intelligent than what we give them credit for people know when they're being manipulated so why not be honest with them why not respect them enough to pretend like they're uh, instead of pretending like they're so dumb that they don't know they're being manipulated, why don't we just shine the light on the fact like, yeah, I'm using dumb manipulation techniques. I'm using them. But I'm going to be honest with you about me using them. And I'll, and I'll express it in a comedic way. So hopefully you get some entertainment from it. So anyway, that I just have a thesis that says, People are very intelligent and people deserve to be respected. I think when, whether it's a marketer or someone in your personal life, when we're manipulating people, I think that's one of the most disrespectful things we can do. I love it. And also you're using that as a teaser to let people know on this interview that you've got a comedy tour coming up in, in a, in a example. That was, you know, that was implied. That was a manipulation strategy I was employing. I think it would have been more effective if you didn't point it out, Steve, but maybe you can edit that out here in this live broadcast. Yes, that we can do, JP. Let's <laughs> for, for those that are watching, how can we, um, you know, because especially in the health movement, a lot of people are very serious about all this and, and dogmatic. How can we learn to uh, not take ourselves so seriously and start looking inward and kind of making fun of, you know, our thought patterns that we're stuck in. Yeah. So I like to challenge people to become playful with that, which is most important to you. So in other words, like we, like what is most important to us? Is, is it eating organic? Is it 
sleeping like what like i'm not talking about like take what's most important to you and then convince yourself it's not important it's like no let's acknowledge it's important and therefore we typically would react and have a only a serious mindset around it how can we let it be important but intentionally create a playful mindset around it i think a seriousness from a psychological perspective serious is a constrictive controlling energy and anything controlling comes from a fear-based mentality so when we're doing something to help our health like eating amazingly we realize like okay eating amazingly would help our health but if i have only a serious mindset around it then i'm coming from a fear-based mindset which means i'm under a stress response which means i'm hurting my health psychologically while i'm nutritionally trying to help my health so what if we become playful with it now that's a challenge it's easy to be in only the serious mindset because water seeks a path of least resistance it's easy to be serious i got it that's why this is a challenge to be playful with it let it be still important but can we also be playful? Can we be sincere also and playful? And I think sincerity is the North Star, not seriousness. I think sincerity comes from a loving, open heart-based mindset, not the fear-based mindset that is seriousness. So it, and just real quick, an example how I've done this in my own life, and I'm not going to pretend to be perfect. Actually, maybe I should. Steve, should I pretend to be perfect? I think that the whole interview is leading to that moment. It's almost like you're building and and you're showing perfection by being honest. So I think it would work perfectly right now. To it, yeah, to so, it, I, it? so yeah, I've got it all figured out. Uh, so there's no room for improvement for me here. So an example of how I've uh, made a step of becoming playful and sincere with something that I used to only be serious about is with gluten. So for the past 15 years, I've known about my gluten intolerance and I've been gluten-free and I consider it a very important health strategy for me. Like I do way better when I'm not eating gluten. I'm not celiac. I'm like, thank God I'm not like that's, that, that would be just more severe to deal with, but I am gluten intolerant. So for a lot of years, I was noticing a lot of my control dramas, me acting like a jerk, coming out under the noble hiding spot of I'm gluten intolerant. I'm just making sure that um, I, I have gluten-free food. It's like, no, me going back and visiting my family and becoming entitled, demanding, controlling, that's not being gluten intolerant. That's being a jerk. So to help me set, like I was just taking it seriously. So to help me become more playful with it, I made a video called How to Become Gluten Intolerant. That was part of my self-practice of becoming playful with something that was important to me so I could leave the quicksand of seriousness with it. Well, we can't go to gluten without going to some of the other areas and it's oceans that we that my work has been swimming in for years from raw vegan to vegan to vegetarianism and all those different things and our audience has members of all that even paleo we have people that are listening there um and and when we talked about dogma i mean it really when we talk about the raw food movement and the vegan movement and animal rights and all those different things that can really put people on the defensive and create a sort of sense of anger and i think in your own personal life isn't your girlfriend uh, in the vegan or raw food world too and how does that work for you and and how do you make that work in your life yeah my lovely lady amber uh, who i know i believe you've had a discussion with her uh, she is a vegan and how that works for me is i have to spend hours every day telling her that she's wrong and righteous and then she spends hours every day telling me that i'm evil and i'm going to hell so we've got a great relationship <laughs> no i i love the question so yeah in and just to set the context I, I personally i'm not a vegan though though i do consider myself i eat a strict vegan diet while i simultaneously eat a strict meat eating diet so that like kind of you know like whatever i eat meat but i identify as a vegan 
you can't question that because that's who I am inside. So how Amber and I make it work is like, it is so not a problem. We, we, we have what I would call an acceptance-based relationship, not an agreement-based relationship. An agreement-based relationship to me comes from the shallow place of one's brain, their head, which basically says we are compatible based on our ability to agree about things. And if we disagree about things, we are not compatible because we don't have acceptance. We only have agreement. So I'll reject you to the degree that we don't agree on things. So with Amber and I, like, we're, and I wouldn't even say we have disagreements. It's just like she eats a di bit different than the way I eat. But because we have an acceptance-based relationship, we can look at the things that we do differently, even the things that we disagree on. And instead of having those become forces of rejection and disrespect, they are actually opportunities for us to accept each other more. And to me, that's beautiful. To me, it is a very uh, unimpactful relationship in a relationship that doesn't foster growth when we're just in an agreement-based relationship because there's no challenge. There is no challenge, uh, no challenge for us to accept someone else to a greater degree. And it's easy for us to accept people when we agree with them. But the real challenge of opening our hearts, I think, is having people be different than us and accepting them anyway. That's why I think like hanging around like-minded people, it's like awesome, do that, it's comfortable, but you're not going to grow. H hang around like-hearted people who are also different-minded, you know, like-minded on some things and different-minded on some others. And then I think something else that Amber and I have in common, so we, we agree on it and therefore it's easy for us to accept ourselves about it, is I think we both make an intentional effort to uh, represent what we stand for rather than crusading against what we don't stand for. I think crusading against what we don't stand for, then you basically just have the energy of conflict and fighting and war. It's like, oh, you're a vegan, you're a jerk, you're entitled. Or we look at the, oh, you're a meat eater, you disgusting. So it's like, well, why don't you represent what you stand for instead of be, being in the position of a victim who doesn't stand for anything, but you just crusade against other ideas, other people. So I, I think Amber and I are aligned with our purposes enough that it's important for us to really represent what we stand for. And when you do that, you don't have time to go to war because you're here expressing your purpose. And I think if it's a worthwhile purpose, it's going to be a catalyst of peace, not war. My delusional opinion anyway. What a beautiful message, though. I mean, I, even with the work I do and the judgment I'll get if I bring someone on that you you aren't a vegan anymore because you interviewed J.P. Sears and he's not and he's not a vegan. So Stephen Prusak must not be a vegan anymore. And and the judgment that comes with that. And and I've never been that kind of person either. Yeah, I mean, to me, that is. They're different literal words, but it's the exact same psychological mechanism that would say, oh, you're not a Christian, you're going to hell, we can't be friends. Oh, you're not a Muslim, you're going wherever they believe, we can't be friends. It's like, wow, that is, you're not part of my cult? Well, I can't talk to you anymore. Uh, it, it, that's a psychological energy that has nothing to do with being a vegan, nothing to do with being whatever your religion is, it is a very rejection-based psychological place that people come from. And because that's such what I would call a low fear-based shaming energy, people don't like to expose it and be transparent. So we try to hide that behind noble-looking hiding spots and, and we'll hide that underneath the trump card of, no, I'm just being a vegan. I'm really representing being a vegan. Or no, I'm just really representing paleo movement here. I'm just representing Christianity. No, you're expressing a lot of shame and rejection here. That's nothing to do with being a vegan. So let's not try to hide that underneath being a vegan. And let's be vulnerable and realize you're shaming me and rejecting me because I'm not the same as you. And if you want to do that, 
cool, but I'm not going to pretend that you're not doing that while I just pretend you're being a vegan. No, you, you practice veganism, but you are expressing this. So to me, that, that, the, getting back to transparency, that is very important. And I don't like to be uh, tricked into the noble looking hiding spots that uh, rejecting shameful energy hides under. What do you think that mechanism is where people think they need to be with the same, you know, pattern that they're in? I, to me, I would guess from my point of view, I would guess that that boils down to someone who has very low self-worth. Welcome to humankind. We all do. The question is like, how much is it? And have we started to deal with it? but it boils down to someone who has very low self-worth and they reject so much of themselves. Therefore they project that rejection onto other people. I don't think we are going to reject other people if we're in a state of really accepting ourselves. I think it's impossible. So I think the beauty is when we wake up and notice, well, I'm really rejecting other people. Uh, uh, and I pretend I've pretended for years that I'm actually just, you know, not rejecting them, but being the superior spiritual vegan paleo, whatever I am. It's like, no, I've been rejecting them. Therefore that becomes a beautiful reflection for us to notice how that's playing out inside of us. How am I rejecting me? How high have I rejected all parts of my authentic self that don't fit into what I interpreted to be the narrow scope of my family's values? And I've just replicated my family's values here in the literal context of being a vegan or whatever the mechanism is, and therefore I reject everything else. So I, I think that can, you know, when we're willing to look at what happens between us and other people outside of us and ask ourselves, what does this say about me? We have a beautiful opportunity to learn. And if we're not willing to look inward, then I think we'll have continued conflict and resistance outside of us until uh, life motivates us, usually through enough pain, to eventually look inward at what we're unwilling to look at. Tools for spiritual growth. I mean, I think you're talking about acceptance here. That's definitely one of them. There's other practices, though, like meditation, plant medicines, ayahuasca, mushrooms, or things like that, what people are using to expand and learn. How, how, do, you, how do these tools play a role in your life, and do you think there's something that people should be tuning into when we're talking about spiritual growth? Yeah, so spiritual tools for growth do play a big part of my life. And I will just, before I mention some specifics, which I, I will do, I want to say I am so unattached to tools. It's like, I just want to brag about how unattached I am, like I'm more Buddhist than you, Steve. Um, but really, I, I advocate everybody, don't get attached to the tools don't get attached to the path because it's so easy for us to start worshiping tools instead of like worshiping where the tools get us, which is, I think, connection to our inner self, our higher self, God, like all synonyms for the same thing. So uh, some of the tools that I currently use, meditation, usually every morning it's 10 to 15 minutes of meditation. Uh, right now, another tool that's incredibly meaningful for me in my spiritual growth is creativity. It's like, you know, you know I, to me, it's, uh, uh, this probably isn't accurate for me to say, but I'm going to freaking say it. How some people use plant medicine, like Amber, she's big time using the tool of plant medicine, and that's wonderful. But to me, it's like creativity medicine. It's like there, there's this spirit of creativity, this muse that I get in touch with, and that is really working for me. I don't know that it'll always work for me. I want to get attached to it and pretend like it always will and make a religion out of it, but I just notice, well, for the past couple of years uh, and right now, it's very meaningful to me. Uh, and then I, uh, a couple other tools, uh, emotional connection. 
and maybe we just use the buzzword vulnerability for this. Uh, to me, emotional connection is huge for spiritual growth. Carl Jung once said, feelings are the language of our soul. And I think the the direct gateway to our soul is through our emotions. And oddly enough, and almost like hilariously enough, that direct gateway to our soul, our emotions, is the exact thing that I was trying to bypass in the name of spirituality for years. It's like, oh yeah, emotions, those are gross. Like they're not very spiritual. So let me skip those. I'll just be a bliss bunny, love and light, bro. It's all perfect. So I don't get angry or therefore, so I can be in denial of anger and deny that I'm in denial of it. But I think I was actually bypassing the exact doorway uh, that leads me right into my soul. So I think there's no question about it. Being connected emotionally is important. And then I would also say authentic, real communication with people in our lives uh, is so important to spiritual growth. Well, I'd say for you, creativity and that you're living your, your purpose, your dharma, if you want to say. And, and maybe that's a part of that too. And, um, for sure. Right? And... <laughs> And my mind just went blank. So, gosh, that's hard, you know, because I had such a good question. Well, I, I think that you just upgraded yourself. You're not trapped by your mind anymore, Steve. Welcome to the, the realm of, it's not mindfulness, it's more mindlessness, but it's kind of both, so it's mindfulness. You've just transcended your mind, Steve. I think you've had an awakening here on air. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, JP. Um, so what about let's talk about your current projects and what you're up to um so our listeners can our, or viewers can tune into what you're doing and if you're watching on the in the academy because this is our way of advertising our academy jp and the show is sponsored by try best making healthy living easy and if you're part of the inner circle of the juice guru academy now would be the time where you get to connect with amazing people ruling the planet like jp what what an amazing uh, benefit. So if you want to join us live on the video, you can raise your hand or type it in the box. I do see one question well, or comment from Avis, and I'll get to that in a minute. But let's talk about what you're up to. We know that you mentioned a comedy tour. What else do you have going on? Well, you know, I'm uh, not surprisingly still making videos. I, I, I love that. And how I'm making my videos and the subject matter I'm doing with videos it's exciting to me just allowing that to evolve. And then uh, another project that's in the works, it's not launched yet by any stretch of the imagination, is uh, a community uh, for, for my tribe. I, I would like for my tribe once developed, we can go to war with your academy tribe, Steve. I think like you know, there's not enough to go around, so let's get scarcity mindset. So... But that's a very meaningful project to me. And essentially, the, the whole purpose of that project that I'm doing to, to build my online tribe is to help people find more meaning in their life through playfulness and purposefulness. So, you know, it, it really is the first what I would call a sincere offering that I'm launching uh, since my comedy videos came on the scene two and a half years ago. And given my background of doing 15 years of emotional healing, client coaching work, leading retreats and workshops all over the place, this feels like a kind of hero's journey, full circle, coming home, but a new person where it's like, yeah, I've been on this place, this timeline for the past two and a half years, prioritizing comedy, very purposefully so. But now it's like, yes. Now it's time to really prioritize this sincere offering. Like, yeah, there will still be my sense of humor in it, but there will also be just unapologetic sincerity in it where it's no question about it, a project designed to help people grow, heal, and find more meaning in their life. So anyway, I'm, I could ramble on just because it lights me up inside. That's another project that I've got in the pipeline. I love it. And what a great thing to sell from the stage, back of the room sales, and, and a great upsell for every interview you do. I, I would think so. Uh, hashtag affiliate link coming at you soon, Steve. 
Thank you for that. There will be a link under the show notes for this at juicegrewradio.com where you can find out more about JP and the amazing work he's doing. And we'll be keeping an eye out. That's going to be a traditional video launch where we'll be, you know, getting the anticipation and we can't wait for the doors to open kind of thing. Funnels. Yep. Get everybody excited, manipulate people into wanting what they don't know they want. Absolutely. What I love uh, also about your work is that how you're branching out and doing sort of sponsorship videos and things like that. How is that resonating with you? Like, are you only choosing projects that work for you or are you getting uncomfortable? Well, uh, both. So I'm, I'm not, I, I am getting uncomfortable in the sense of taking on things that I don't know how to do. It's like, well, that's learning. So I, I like that kind of discomfort, but no to the discomfort of violating my values. Like, absolutely not on that. You know, I've had, I, I would say a good position I'm in is I don't need to do sponsorships with companies. So it's very easy for me to say no when it's not a good fit. And it might be, a not, a not good fit for a couple of reasons. One, it might be like, I just find zero comedic material about your product. Like you, the product might be great, but it's boring. Like there's nothing funny about this. Like, yes, it's funny to you because you're horrendously emotionally attached. Like this is your creation, but it's not. So that might be a no. And then mm-hmm. absolutely there are no's when there's a product that I'm not ethically aligned with. You know, there was a product know a few months ago some kind of health supplements funny what's a health supplement nowadays uh, but it had artificial sweeteners in it. it had splenda in it and they, they were offering to pay well but it's like it's that's a no like i i couldn't live with myself endorsing something that i can that is considered toxic like no way mm. so but with that said, aligning with companies and sp- sponsorships that have products, movements that uh, are near and dear to me, and then I get to express my creativity as a way of, like, one, having value itself because it's creativity and it's comedic, but also enhancing their ability to help people. That's been a real joy. And, you know, it's also been a learning process, like, how to go about like forming those deals and fielding opportunities. So definitely it's been a learning process, but I think we've hit our stride on that pretty well. Well, I want to let our viewers know that we did not pay for this interview. It's a value about $25,000. So we want to thank you, JP, because this is worth about $25,000, $50,000. I want to thank you for that. Yeah, and thank you for expanding the upper limit there to fifty thousand dollars. I thought you were lowballing me when you just said twenty five thousand dollars. So the fifty thousand dollar value that's coming at you for free obviously means it's fifty thousand dollars because it's free. Well, here in the inner circle, we've got a comment, and I see it. Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> okay, a couple of comments here. From Avis says, I, f- I felt obligated to show up for this interview because I wanted to please JP and Steve. Now I'm feeling insecure about whether they will be pleased or not. And she followed up with, if I came on live, I would be giving in to my people-pleasing tendency. Any comment on that, uh, JP? Yeah, um, I think uh, uh, you said the name is Avis. Yeah, I think Avis is conflicted. So it displeases me that you came on live, but it pleases me that you're afraid it would displease me and Steve for just coming for a people-pleasing perspective. So, Avis, I think you've accomplished both. Great. Avis, thank you for typing in. Any other uh, last questions, go ahead and um, put them in the box. I actually click something wrong there and i know we're coming up to the end of the uh interview here jp and i don't know you know what i wanted to ask you before we we break away um which to me i'm gonna really have a sense of loss i've been wanting to have you on for a while like you know and and to know that this is over is you know you know that kind of feeling where it's like i can't wait and 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 it didn't happen and now it happened and it feels so right and it's going to be over and the minutes are ticking away you know what that's like right yeah it's like severe remorse 
like we're going to Disneyland and now the day is over. So yeah. what's this like for you? Because I know you're going like back to back with interviews like almost every day. And how is how are you handling this? Because I, I mean, you've got to you've got to be on mentally. I'm sure it's very draining after a while, right? Well, you know, it, it can be draining, but, uh, you know, know thyself is, is that one of the commandments? I don't think so. But like, know thyself. <laughs> That's something important to me. So I have a level of self-awareness and to me also a, a level of humbleness to know my limitations. So uh, there were like, uh, there was a time during like my book promotion where like I was doing five interviews, like five one hour long interviews every day. And, and then getting to know myself, like I pride myself, like I can work a lot, I can be productive, but it's like, okay, like that's not sustainable. So I've, I've learned more of what my boundaries of sustainability are and therefore know my limitations. So I do my best to respect those boundaries so that when, when I'm committed to a project or a discussion or a performance, like I can bring it. Like, I, I don't want to show up half dead. Once in a while that happens uh, when I'm just, uh, things get out of hand. But for the most part, it's been a trial by fire. And the trial by fire has taught me more about what my capacity is and what, you know, in my, by capacity, I mean my power zone, where I can show up, be excited, be happy, uh, present, and I can bring it. I want to thank you for taking us into your dwelling there with the tan curtain, the stone wall, and the other cushion in the back. That's very meaningful to me. Yeah, we had an interior designer come in, and like we found, like, okay, we want the best, oldest-looking curtains and the best-looking cement blocks that you have. We're looking to upgrade. They're like, not a problem, JP. Anything for you? JP Sears, I'm going to stay respectful of your time and anything to say in closing, anything we didn't touch on, any last call to action that you want to share with our audience? You know, uh, Steve, we didn't touch on one important thing, which is all enlightened people either have long hair or they're bald. And Steve, I just want to thank you for representing the other end of the spectrum of enlightenment. It's an honor to be connected with you here, brother. And, and, thank, also, and, and JP, I want to thank you for bringing up one of my biggest insecurities. It makes me feel more complete. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but above and beyond helping you feel more complete, I really appreciate you, Steve. One, having me on your wonderful offering to the world. You are a joy to talk with. You are playful beyond belief. And I know you have a, a, a large amount of valuable wisdom uh, that pervades your playfulness. And I love the work you do for the world. You're a great uh, uh, servant to the world. And I mean that in the best possible way. And... Yeah, it's been a joy talking with all you lovely, weird people today. And uh, if you care to uh, connect with me on social media, all my handles are Awaken with JP. Again, the website, awakenwithjp.com. All the same back to you, JP. Thank you so much. I admire your work, as does millions of people at this point. But thank you for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule, for being here, and for all the work you're doing. We definitely want to stay in touch and, and namaste. And namaste to you too. <laughs> and don't forget to get your tarot reading with JP. He'll be doing that, you know, one of these days. JP Sears right here on Juice Radio. I'm your host, Steve Prusak, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at juiceguru.com. Until next time, get your juice on.